Always a good reminder to remember to uh, fight those battles. Let God fight those battles in our life. And, uh, and just as we have learned in the book of Acts and through the theme of the book of Acts and probably throughout your walk with Christ and certainly throughout the life of this church, uh, there's going to be battles, right? There's going to be opposition. There's going to be people that uh, will come against you. There's going to be those who come against... Is that me making the noise? Okay. Do you hear that? I'm pretty sure that is mine. There you go. All right. <laughs> so you're going to have battles come against you. You're going to have these uh, troubles and trials. <clears throat> and uh, it's so important to remember um, where the power comes from, but also um, to know that you know that you know you're in God's will. And that's the key. If you know you're in God's will and you're doing God's work, it helps you persevere. It helps you endure. And, uh, you know, I find it remarkable how congruent Acts has been with Hebrews because uh, just reading through Hebrews and studying through that, then also on Wednesday night going through Acts and understanding the process of where they literally were and the historical account of some of these churches and through Paul's uh, life and through uh, Barnabas and some of the others, um, how congruent it is because you literally see uh, the same thing happening. You see the writer of Hebrews making the argument of why would you want to go back to the Jewish principles and practices when now you have Jesus Christ. You have Jesus Christ and he's so much greater than what you had in the past. Like all those things were pointing towards Christ, pointing towards the Messiah. And now you have received him. There's no need to go back to something lesser or no need to go back to something that was temporary or given as a shadow. You have the real thing. And, and he argues through that uh, process and warns and exhorts not to do that. And then we see in the book of Acts uh, the progress of the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. How it began in Jerusalem, how it spread to, uh, to Judea, how it spread to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And we got to the point where we uh, began Paul's missionary journeys, where he, uh, through these scriptures, through Acts here, he's going to go on three missionary journeys. Um, we have uh, come or we're coming to the end of his first missionary journey tonight. Then he's going to start his second one next week, which will be the Macedonian call. Um, and then he's going to start the third one. Some say he had a fourth with the prison ones, but um, generally the three uh, that we, we look to as the missionary journeys that he took um, literally was taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so Paul, who was Saul uh, in, in Scripture earlier in the book of Acts, um, through this process you would think, well, since he's doing the work of God, and he's on God's side now, and he's sharing the gospel, you know, it's got to be an easier road, right? It's got to be an easy way, or just because, it, you know, you're doing God's work, it's going to be easy. Well, contrary to that, the truth is it's hard. It's difficult. And uh, as we have journeyed through this progress, we have seen just this several, um, several times where he was, um, you know, brought literally to the brink of his, of his life. In the ending of chapter 14, starting in verse 19, we see um, as he was uh, concluding his journey, of uh, missionary journey, uh, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, so they came from the other side, and they persuaded the multitudes of people, and they, it says they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So 
we see that he um, took physical punishment. Stoning uh, was something that they began to throw rocks and throw stones at someone and heaped up such a pile of rocks and from blunt force trauma, the person would die. And so um, apparently Paul was uh, put to a point to where they thought he was dead. They literally had stoned him and thought, okay, he's dead. They dragged him out of the city. And, uh, you know, I must admit, some of the things that I find myself complaining about in ministry seems uh, to pale in comparison, right? And I know it pales in the comparison to the ministry that Jesus had, and I know it pales in the comparison that Paul had, but when you really put it into perspective about not being able to get the you know, right parking spot, or maybe you, know, you have to get here a little early, or maybe you, know, you have to do this, or you have to do that, and we find ourselves complaining about things, but when you really think about Paul who was faithful, who was a great servant of the Lord, he was stoned and dragged and beaten. And, uh, you know, as you see this, did it stop him? No. Verse 20 says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So he just kept on going. He was like the Energizer Bunny, you know, or he maybe he was like a cat had nine lives. I don't know. But he just, uh, he got up and he kept going. But but what I do know is that Paul persevered, and he persevered because he knew he was doing the will and the work of God. And regardless of the, uh, regardless of the consequences that was happening to him, he persevered. And I hope that encourages us in our walk, right? And I know sometimes, like I said, we take things out of perspective, but sometimes they do get hard. Sometimes, you know, raising your family gets hard. And you have people ridicule you. You have people that, uh, you know, your kids come home and they say things like, well, everybody else gets to do it, you know. Um, I think that's Courtney's favorite saying right now, you know. Everyone else has Snapchat, you know, and everyone else has this and everyone else has that. Why, why can't we do this and why can't we do that? And sometimes you feel like, you know, yeah, you're right, you know, you feel kind of ostracized. You feel kind of maybe... Um, you know, not hanging in there or persevering, or maybe we can do a little better with this or that. But, you know, if you know it's the will of God, you need to persevere. You got to persevere through some of the heartache. You got to persevere through some of the tough times. You got to persevere through some of the persecution. And, uh, you know, I was just uh, thinking about that with your kids, you know, and you do the work on the front end, it's a lot easier on the back end most of the time, right? And uh, so, you know, you, you work through these processes. Sometimes in your marriage, it's this way. You know, you're trying to do the right thing. You're, you're trying to be selfless. You're trying to love. You're trying to sacrifice. You're trying to make it work. And many times it doesn't go your way. You feel like you're the only one giving. You're the only one suffering. You know, you're the only one making an effort. And yet, if you know it's the will of God, you got to persevere. You got to push forward. And in your life, I talked a little bit this past Sunday about, you know, just my testimony of me uh, before I met Aaron and how, you know, persevering through times when you know it's the will of God, it's not going to come easy, but when it comes, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it because you know you've done it the right way and you've done it uh, because it's the will of God and you persevered and the fruit doesn't always come early or fast, but when it comes, it's certainly worth it. And there's nowhere in the Bible where it promises us that we're going to have an easy life, or you're never going to be faced with persecution or trials. Matter of fact, we're going to read this next uh, section right here. We're going to see exactly what it promises us. In verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel uh, to that city, made many disciples. So this was another city, Derby. 
they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So you remember where we started? Antioch, right? But now they're back to Antioch. And so they came back, uh, verse 22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. There you go, right there. So, so he comes and others are suffering. And through Paul's suffering and Paul's perseverance, he, he exhorts them or he also encourages them to keep the faith. And a lot of times, you know, that's where we can find strength is to know that people are following us and we can't, we can't let it down. You know, our, when we was coaching football and on many sports teams, the coach would always say, you know, the, the team is only as strong as the weakest link, right? Because once you break the chain, then it all falls apart. And so don't be the weak link in the process. Like prepare yourself, train yourself. Don't be the one that quits. Don't be the one that doesn't do your job. Make sure that you're, make sure you keep uh, in the faith and make sure you keep serving. And if they looked to Paul and said, he almost was dead, he was stoned, and yet now he's, he's exhorting us and he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. So they needed that encouragement. And he says to them plainly, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, that's just the reality of where we live and how we live. And, uh, you know, I've learned in my life, it has not always been trials and tribulations. There are many good times. There are many great times, as a matter of fact. And, uh, you know, I, I think for us, it's a great thing to remember to rejoice in those times, to be thankful for those times. Because, you know, as one pastor said, you're either in a storm, heading out of a storm, or heading into a storm, right, in your life. But when you're not in that storm, we ought to be thanking God for that. We ought to be praising the Lord for the things that we have. We ought to give Him thanks for the provision He's given for us. If you have a good job, be thankful for a good job. If you have, uh, you know, if your kids are all healthy, be happy and be excited and rejoice that they're healthy because there's going to come a time when they're not going to be healthy. And, and in your own life, if you have life and you have you know, God has given you this purpose to be here, then to live it with all that you got because he's given it to you. And what you have is probably the best that you're going to have for the rest of your life. I love uh, what one uh, lady who was uh, 82 years old and she went back to get her master's and the lady was interviewing her on the news and said, well, why did you decide to go back now to get your master's? And she said, well, I figured this was my best years that I had left. So, I mean, she, she looked at it from that perspective. It's so true. So many times we, we miss what we're supposed to do because we think something else better is going to come along when in reality what we have at this point is the best we're going to have. And so if you have good health, rejoice in that. If you have a time in your family when there's uh, goodness and when God has provided and God has given, be grateful and thankful for those times because we know the trials, the tribulations, the heartache, the pain, it's coming because no one's exempt from that. Not even Christians, not even pastors, not even evangelists, not even those who you think would, that you might think would get a free ride. The Apostle Paul didn't get a free ride. Jesus didn't get a free ride, right? Why do we think we should? And Jesus even told his disciples, if I suffer, how much more do you think you're going to suffer as the servants of me? And so we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations, and yet we can't give up. We can't give in. We can't 
be pushed back. We got to keep pushing forward. And, uh, you know, in, in our church, I think for me as a pastor, one of the greatest lessons that I learned was learning how to persevere. Because, you know, when you first start, you think everybody's going to like you and everybody's going to, you know, come and they're going to help you and everybody's going to serve. And you, know, you have people come on Sunday and they say, we love it. We'll be back and we'll help you with a kid's ministry and we're going to help you with that. And the next week, you don't see them. They're like, where are they at? You know, they're gone and they don't follow through with their commitments. And a lot of times you get very discouraged. And then you have people from the community. You have other people that's criticizing. And you have other things happening. And all of a sudden you realize that it's not, it's not a cakewalk. It is hard. It's difficult. And not just in ministry, in families, in marriages, in life. you got to be the same way. you got to know the will of God is what you're supposed to be doing. And as you're doing that, you have to persevere regardless of the trials and tribulations. They're part of the deal. And you got to learn how to manage them. And as you manage those things, you realize that those things you've been through all of a sudden are now an encouragement to those who are going through those things or going to go through those things. Let me tell you one thing that will help you in your, in your trials and tribulations more than anything else is that after you go through a trial or tribulation for you to go find someone to minister to that's in the same trial or tribulation you were in. Uh, matter of fact, it's a proven fact in health that someone who goes through a health crisis, when they recover from that health crisis, for that person to go find someone in that same crisis to be able to help them through that sickness, it even heals the person even more that had the sickness before them. It's like when the nurse, uh, when the patient becomes the nurse, you know what I mean? Like that is encouraging to the person and encouraging to the person who's ministering to that person. And, uh, you know, I learned this uh, through ministry. Uh, one lady in particular has taught me this well, and I'll never forget what she said because it impacted me, and that's Miss Carol. Miss Carol, you know, she's had, uh, uh, you know, some rough things in her life. She's had a lot of things happen. And I remember she said uh, after Big Wayne had passed away, she said, Ted, all I can know is that God told me don't waste my pain. Don't waste my pain because I can be bitter and I could be upset, and I could be mad at God, and I could, I, can, I could just give it up, but I'm not going to because I know God doesn't want me to waste this pain. He wants me to take this pain and turn it into a ministry, turn it into something that I can do for the kingdom of God. And so through that process, I have seen her persevere, and I've seen her go through even harder times and, and other times going through those things and still not wasting her pain. And so that's my encouragement to you tonight. And my encouragement through Paul's lesson tonight is, yes, there's going to be trials, and yes, there's going to be tribulation. Yes, you're going to want to give up, but don't give up. Persevere. And then turn around and encourage others that are going through the same process. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul did it, and now he came and he's commending them. He's lifting them up. He's encouraging those who, who are also walking in the Lord and strengthening them. And also, may we never forget those people around us. They may not look like they're hurting, but people hurt. And people need help. People need encouragement. And we got to keep our eyes open, and we got to be willing to come walk beside those who need that help. And so don't waste your pain. Don't waste your trials. And Paul wasn't doing that. He, wasn't, he didn't go back home and crying and complaining and whining. He went back home, and he used it for good, and he strengthened the souls of the disciples. He encouraged them by telling them that they must uh, enter through many tribulations in the kingdom of God. Then look at verse 30, uh, 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church, 
and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they, uh, in, the, in whom they had believed. So um, as the church began to grow, he begins to put a little structure to it. So elders, pastors, overseers, they had appointed these overseers, pastors, um, you know, same word in the Greek, in, in every church. So every church, they had appointed these that were separated to do the work of the ministry, and then they prayed and they fasted. That's always a great thing to do when you want to do the work of the Lord. And then they commended them to the Lord. So they dedicated to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's the process that we seek in our church. You know, that's why the process that we're going through with having deacons and training them, commending them, and then commissioning them, that is something that we desire to do. That we want to do that in the process of building those who will come and serve the church and, and do it not just for my generation or my lifetime, but even after I'm gone and after they're gone and the next generation, the next generation. And I love to see those who serve God and get their kids involved and their family involved to see that process to know what it means to do that and so that's exactly what they were starting here Paul had done it they had started the church the people had grown so now they were appointing these leaders and elders and overseers they were praying they were fasting they were commending them and appointing them and setting them aside this is your job this is your role in the kingdom of God then verse 24 and after they had passed through Poseidia they came to Pamphylia and now when they had preached uh, the word in Perga, they all went down to uh, Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all the, that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So I messed up. I forgot. As I told you earlier, there's two Antiochs, right? So the first Antioch was just a trip through the smaller Antioch. Finally, they come to the end of the Here's where they sailed back to where they began here at the first Antioch. They had come, commended the grace. They had completed their first missionary journey. Um, this was where Paul had come back to report to those that were there. And they all gathered the church together. And they had come together. They had reported all these things. And uh, this literally is like a missionary report. You ever had a missionary report where people were out in the field, they were serving, they came back home to tell of all the things that God had done. And they had gathered together to hear about all these things. And they had told them of the gospel. They had told them of how God opened the door to the faith of the Gentiles, which we talked about that, how they had accepted Christ. And then they stayed there a long time uh, with the disciples. So uh, then Acts chapter 15 opens up with a conflict, all right? When I was growing up, uh, there was a famous saying that was on the news, and we heard it uh, for as kids we kept repeating is, can't we all just get along? You know what I mean? You ever heard of that? Uh, can't we all just get along? And so we're going to see this conflict, but this is a conflict that was necessary. And as sometimes as a church, you... You can't get along with everybody because they don't believe the things that they need to believe to get along with them, right? And so right here, you're going to see some uh, defense of the doctrine of God and the, and the Bible. And yes, we can come together uh, with others and we can have uh, you know, unity with those who believe the essentials of the gospel and believe the essentials of what it means uh, in Christianity. But then there is a time where we got to draw the line in the sand and say, that's not what the Bible says or teaches, and we can't go along in unity, that we got to take a stand. And so 
That's exactly what we see right here. There's a conflict that arises. There's a doctrinal difference or a theological difference. And we're going to see a line that they draw in the sand to say, hey, we can have unity on a lot of things, but on this we can't agree. And so what was it? Um, of all things, circumcision, all right? And so I know it's a weird topic, but we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the historical part of it, and we'll talk about what it means theologically. So verse 1 comes, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. So some had come from Judea down, and this is what he said, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So what have we been learning? We have been learning this process of how God was taking the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Jewish people to the ends of the earth. Well, one of the signs of the covenant in the Old Testament for the Jewish people were they were circumcised. And that circumcision marked them as a symbol of a covenant with God. That's what it meant. And they were the Jewish people were the ones who were, had this uh, marking, so it marked them as the covenant. So it never was be circumcised so you are saved. It was always you're in covenant with God and you're marked by that. Not, not the mark that makes the difference. It's the, it's the heart that makes the difference. But what happened is they twisted it. And so what they're doing is taking an outward uh, law or an outward custom and they're applying it to salvation. So they're saying, basically, um, all these that you say are saved of the Gentiles, they're not circumcised, so they're not saved. Because it's not what Christ has done for them, it's the mark of the covenant, so they got to be circumcised or they can't be saved. Then verse 2 comes and says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. I love that, right? They had no small dissension and dispute with them. So they, uh, they, they obviously uh, really disagreed with them. And they had dissension with them. And they had dispute with them. And they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So they were pulling rank on them. They were saying, you're saying it this way, and I'm saying it this way, and we can't get along. Let's go up to Jerusalem and let's go talk to the apostles who would have had apostolic authority at the time. And let's go up to the elders and let's see what they have to say about this. And so in other words, they're saying, I'm calling in you know, uh, authority to be able to set this manner straight. So verse 3 comes, so being sent on their way by the church, they went up. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. So, you know, they were talking about this and the conversion of the Gentiles and people were getting saved and there was great joy. But on the other hand, there was a great dissension because there was this old way and they were saying, unless you're circumcised, they're not saved. They can't be saved. So you had joy on one hand, you had dissension on the other. And in verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they made it finally to Jerusalem. They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. We know Jerusalem was the home church, right? That was the, the hub of where it started. You know, you will go from here. That's where, you know, the, the mother uh, or the, what we call the mother church or the home church in Jerusalem. Um, they had went there. Um, they had received them uh, by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. So they had given a report. Then verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, 
Is it necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses? There we go, right there. There's another, that's, that's the theological difference. And basically, when you boil it down, this is nothing but an argue of le- argument of legalism, right? This is saying that you got to believe in Jesus Christ, which is great, but you also have to be circumcised. That's part of your salvation. And listen, this is an argument that started here, but it's nothing new, right? It's nothing new because we've heard it through the Old Testament, and now we even hear it today. There are many who in the church have taught and believe it is faith in Christ and church membership. There are major denominations that teach that. There are major denominations who say that it's not only believing in Jesus, but you got to believe in Mary, and you got to believe in the system, and you got to believe in all the sacraments. And that's what gets you salvation. There's other denominations that say the same thing, and they, they put Jesus plus something. You remember when we did the series through Galatians, and I always kept saying it's Jesus plus nothing and Jesus minus nothing, right? Listen, this is, this is what we're talking about here, and if you would remember the whole discussion that we had uh, throughout church history, even through the Reformation, uh, one of the biggest dissensions or the, pro- the protest of the Protestants was that they had nailed the 95 Theses to the wall of the Catholic Church to say it is by faith and faith alone in Christ that you're saved. That was the protest. And that's why we're called Protestants, right? That's why we are pro- well, they were protesting the church. And so it, it's nothing new. And it was here. And we, we fight it today. There are, there are many people. They call them all different kinds of names. Even some Baptists and some Nazarenes and some Methodists and some Presbyterian. They all add something to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, that's legalism. And you know what I find interesting is the stuff that they add to Jesus is something that they usually, the majority of the people that are there, doesn't have a problem with, right? They never pick out what their problem is. They always pick out what other people's problem is. Like, that's the, that's the legalistic part of it, right? Because, listen, legalism says, I don't want you to be like Jesus. I want you to be like me. Listen, now we're to be followers of Jesus Christ, but nobody's perfect. And I shouldn't want you to fall into my mold if I'm not modeling Jesus Christ, I should want point you to Jesus Christ and say, be like Him and trust in Him. And He's the one who saves you. I have no power to save you. The church has no power to save you. Baptism have no power to save you. Listen, the waters of baptism, we're going to have baptism on, on Easter Sunday. It's a great testimony. It is an ordinance that God has given to us. The Lord's Supper, the same thing. It is an ordinance that God has given to the church, two things, the, the baptism and also the Lord's Supper. That is something that testifies to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. That is not an act of salvation. If you think baptism will save you, when you go under the water and when you come up, you're going to go in the water a dry center, you're going to come out a wet center. That's all that's going to be the difference, right? Because the water doesn't save you. It's, it's faith in Jesus that saves you. And when you add something to, the, to that part of it, there's no longer an agreement of the gospel. And so that's why it's very careful when you talk to people and you, and you, uh, you come into contact with people and you, you think through salvation with your kids and you think through salvation with your own life and you think through salvation um, with others, you got to be very clear on this point. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's it. 
It is nothing else to the equation that we have to have, and yet so many try to add to it, and the Jewish people tried to add circumcision to it, and they were saying, here's this outward sign that's going to add the part of salvation to you. And they said it, they came, the Pharisees believed it, they rose up against them. So let's see what the council said. This was the first meeting of the Jerusalem council. You're going to hear about throughout church history, if you ever study church history, you're hearing about a lot of councils. Jerusalem council, the councils of Trent, they got a lot of councils that come together. They give direction, on spiritual direction of those um, in the church. Verse 6 says, now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. So they all come together to consider this matter to talk about it, to think it out. Verse 7, And when they had been there with, uh, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Now, you know, Peter was uh, the leader, right? Peter was the mouthpiece. Um, Peter was the one who was always first to speak, and he was the leader, so to speak, of the apostles, and so he carried a lot of authority. And so he rose up and he said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us, uh, that by mouth, by, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You remember that story? Who, what was that story about? Remember the man's name? Cornelius, remember? Cornelius uh, was the centurion that had the dream and the vision, and Peter had the vision, and he went down, and the man was knocking on his door, right? And he went down there, he met Cornelius, he, he, he was there, and God told him to share the gospel. And in, in Peter's dream, he he had the dream of not eating meat, and God says, don't call someone unholy or something unholy that I've called holy. Remember that? And so that was the first time a Gentile in the book of Acts was, had come to know Christ. And so Peter used that uh, to, to share the gospel with him, and Cornelius got saved. And so Peter is saying, you remember this, I'm the leader, and by my mouth, these Gentiles heard the gospel. They heard the gospel, and they believed. And so verse 8 comes and says, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did us. So He's saying, in their state of uncircumcision, they, God gave them the same Holy Spirit He gave us. There's no difference between us and you. Because God had done in them what He had done in us. Verse 9, And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. That's the phrase we want to key on, right? purifying their hearts by what? By faith. What have we been talking about in Hebrews? What's the foundational principle that the concluding principle of Hebrews is? It's by faith. It's by faith and trusting in God and Jesus Christ. That's the key. And he's telling them now this is purified not by circumcision but by faith. And verse 10, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? That's what I was saying about legalism. You know, it is a yoke. It's a burden. It is something that people believe and are taught, and it's a yoke that goes around their neck, and it's like a weight you drag around. There's a guilt that comes with it. There's, there's, there, when, when you put that yoke of, uh, of, of legalism on you, your life is miserable. You have no joy. You have no peace. And, uh, you know, for those that were raised in a legalistic church or raised in a manner where people had rules and regulations over a relationship with God, you know, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the gospel. And when you would rather preach about the yoke 
than preach about Jesus Christ, there's a problem. And listen, you can go right now to YouTube. You can go to uh, you know, any other uh, platform you want to. Type in some preaching. And before long, just as much as you'll hear the wealth and health prosperity gospel, you will hear legalistic teaching as well. You will hear them harp and talk about all the things that are legalistic and that you need to be doing, and they won't preach about Jesus Christ because it's a yoke. It's a burden, and it will take the joy and the peace out of you. And what Peter's telling them, you knew that yoke, and you couldn't keep it, and our fathers couldn't keep it, so why are we trying to put it on them? You know why? Because miserable people like to keep other people miserable, right? Everybody ever noticed that? You know, you ever been around somebody miserable? What do they want to do? Make everyone else around them miserable, right? Well, the Pharisees had no joy. The Sadducees had no joy. You want me to tell you my corny dad joke? You probably ain't listen to me anyways, right? You know why they called them the Sadducees? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. There you go. All right. <laughs> uh, so they had this thing, and they, this is what the Pharisees, they were always keeping the law. Matter of fact, they were up to over 900 and something laws that people had to keep. You remember Jesus? He was like the walking lawbreaker. Remember that? You couldn't, you know, they would pose questions to Jesus, like if an ox fell into the ditch on the Sabbath, can you get it out of the ditch? You know what I mean? They had all these laws and all these rules and 900 and something of them that came out of the Ten Commandments, and they were all about the law, and they were all about legalistic stuff. And basically, faith in God came through believing in Him and obeying the, the, the rules and regulations. It took Jesus and that. Well, Peter's saying, you couldn't keep that. And it's miserable. It's a yoke. And so, I don't know why you're trying to put it on them because we couldn't even live up to it. Then verse 11, but we believe. This is a statement uh, that sums up the apostles and the gospel in, in, one, in one verse. But we believe that through the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. I love that. You know what grace is, right? That's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how I always remember that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. If someone were to give you a gift and you went to pay for that gift, would it be a gift any longer? No, right? Because you would have paid for it. A gift is unmerited. It is something that's been purchased and given to you free of cost. And so what he's saying is that we believe that it was the free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm a whosoever will pastor, right? I love to preach the gospel. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, right? From the uttermost to the guttermost. doesn't matter how much sin you have. It doesn't matter where you've been. You can confess Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, he can save you just like he saved me. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying it's not through this yoke. It's not through this legalism. It's not through this nationality. It is not through a denomination. It is through the grace of Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And they are saved the same manner as us. It doesn't matter. We were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent. And they, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered. Why is James important? 
Anybody know who James is? James wrote one book of the New Testament, and James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. That's who he was. You know why we don't read about this James before this point time period? This was not one of the disciples. This was actually Jesus' brother. He was actually one of the first pastors of the church of Jerusalem after Peter was uh, martyred. So James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, he came, and now he says, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter. I just love how the Bible has three or four names for people, right? <laughs> just keep us on our toes, you know. Uh, Simon, who was Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out for them a people for his name. And with this, and with this the words of the prophets agree just as it was written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will build its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And what he's telling them is, why are you putting yokes on them? They're coming to Jesus Christ. That's the best thing that could happen to them. And you know, that's why, for me, I always have to be careful when you share the gospel, when you preach the gospel, when you're witnessing to other people. Listen, people don't care what your legalistic tendencies are or what you feel like your convictions are. And listen, down the road you can have discussions with them, but you know what the most important thing is? Tell them about Jesus. You, you got to stick, stick with the plan. you got to tell them the thing that can change their life. What good is it if you can conform someone into rules and regulations, but they're still lost, right? Now, I raise kids. I know I can do this as a parent. I can make my kids do something by forcing them or making them do it. But guess what? If their heart's not changed, what good is it? You got you to try to change the heart so you can change the behavior. If the heart never changes, then it doesn't matter how good the behavior is because the heart's still bad. That reminds me of a little boy that was in class and the, a teacher told him to sit down. It was back in the old days, right? Back when they gave spankings at school. Don't amen that, Amy. But anyways, they gave spankings at school. So the little Johnny was standing up and he says, uh, they, he told her to sit. He told him, she told him to sit down. He said, I'm not sitting down. He said, oh, you're going to sit down. He said, no, I'm not going to sit down. So she pulled out a big old paddle. And she reared back and popped him across the rear end. And sure enough, he sat right down in his seat. She turned around and she walked back up there. And she said, uh, oh, you're sitting down now, huh? He looked at her and says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? <laughs> uh, I love that little story. That reminds me of Tanner, by the way. Most people don't believe. I was telling uh, Trey and Jesse this about the kids and how all kids are different, you know? And all my kids were different, and they all were, you know, different disciplines and different the way they are. But Tanner, he just had his mind made up that if there were some things that was just worth getting a whipping for, you know what I mean? And one of them was food. And I told him, I was like, you're going to eat this or you're going to get a whipping? He'll say, whipping. <laughs> I was like, son, that didn't work very well. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not fair. He would rather take the whipping than eat it, you know? And so I was like, man, that's not well. But in his mind, he had already made it up that it didn't matter how much. And ultimately, we wanted him to eat it so he could be healthy. But yet, it didn't matter. He wasn't going to do it regardless. And his heart was already made up. Well, some people's heart, our hearts are sinful like that. Until there's a change of heart, it does no good. And so many times, so many times, we spend our arguments 
We spend our talking points. We, send, we spend our political agenda. We, we spend our you know, preferences or our convictions, and we try to impose them on people who are sinners who need not convictions and not a change of behavior, but a change of heart. And that's why it's important to stick to the gospel. It's important to stick to God, and when you do that, then they turn to God, and when they turn to God, then those things can change. But until that point, we as Christians should testify to Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's why it's important to stick with Scripture. That's why it's important to stick with the, the gospel. And he's telling them here, he said, I'm not going to trouble them with those things. It just pushes them away. It pushes them further away. We're, we're going we're to bring them to Jesus Christ and then let God change them. And verse 20 says, But we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled by from the blood. For Moses had had throughout generations those who preached in every city, uh, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So he's saying we do do these things, but don't trouble them so they don't get the message of Jesus Christ. We want them to come to know Christ first, and then he will work on these other things. I want to get to the decree. Look at verse 22 here. It says, Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, not the Judas that already killed himself, but Judas, who was also named Bar Barsabbas, right, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, and the brethren who are of Gentiles of Antioch, Caesarea, and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised to keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, and they will also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from these things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, or from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. That was the first conclusion of the church. So, very interesting process for those things, and um, as they get to this process and they're working through these, obviously this is the first commandment they sent them uh, with them to send them back with the message um, from the council at Jerusalem. And so those who came together in unity came together in unity with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they sent it back by word to them. So verse 30, continue on, they say, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter, and they had read it. Then they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after that, they had stayed there for a time. They were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, you see it beginning to grow. You see it beginning more leaders to come, more people preaching the word, more people teaching the word. And obviously that's the goal of the church. A healthy church will produce those who share the gospel, who teach the word of God, who lead others to Jesus Christ. And that's what they were seeing. That was the fruit that they were seeing. 
And of course, uh, I don't want to get into this because next week we're going to tackle the next missionary call, but obviously we're going to go through the part about division over John Mark and then also for the Macedonian call, but we'll save that for next week. Um, but going back, just talking about just this uh, chapter tonight and just reconsidering the, the basics and uh, think about how many things we hear and how many things that sometimes we grow up with and how many things have been told to us, and um, that's not really the gospel. And so if we're going to have unity with other people, we've got to have that unity in the gospel. And uh, if someone doesn't have that, then we have the ability and we also have the biblical right to stand up and say, if you don't believe by faith alone in Jesus Christ, then we have no, we have no common fellowship that we can have together in sharing the gospel. And so, you know, that's why there are lines that need to be drawn. That's protecting the purity of the doctrine of the gospel. And, uh, you know, for us as a church, we got to stand by that. And, uh, you know, that's why partnering with people and sharing with people and uh, making sure that the gospel is presented clearly and making sure that the gospel um, is the gospel. And you got to be real careful even today because, you know, when people say they believe the same thing you believe, you got to make sure to ask them to define their terms. You know what I mean? Because a lot of times people will say something and they really aren't saying the same thing. And so you got to make sure. And uh, talking about the gospel, I was just listening to, um, you know, Billy Graham this week. And I was listening to him just share the gospel and how you know, clear it is. And, uh, you know, if you listen to Billy Graham's gospel presentation or any of his sermons, you're going to hear the ABCs of the gospel. That's what he believed by. And every one of his messages had the ABCs of the gospel. One, admit that you're a sinner. And every message you hear Billy Graham preach, he will say, you have to admit that you are a sinner. He would always quote, for, God, uh, you know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the first part of it. If you don't admit that you're a sinner, you don't know that you missed the mark, you don't know that you've been separated from God, there's a confession that must come by admitting you're a sinner. Then the B is believing in Jesus Christ alone by faith. That's the, and he will always say that. When you listen to him preach, you say, you'll believe. Now, a lot, of people can, a lot of people can determine when they think that happens. And you can discuss about you know, all the different parts of the salvation and when you think it happens or when it might happen and predestination. You can think about all those other things. But there's no disputing. The Bible's clear that it, the command or the, 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 the charge is for you to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must believe by faith, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your heart. You must believe that. Then the C is confession, that you must confess that with your mouth. You must be a witness of that. You must be, uh, stand up for the gospel. You must confess that. It's the ABCs, the admitting, the believing, and the confessing. And as you do that, you see the process. And any one of those things that you, cannot, uh, that you do not agree with or someone doesn't agree with, then you know you have to look at those things and say, can we really be part of the same fellowship? Because if you don't believe in the ABCs of the gospel, obviously, as the Jerusalem Council said, listen, we're not going to put those yokes of the gospel and legalistic things and all those other things on top of those. So it's very important to remember the ABCs of the gospel. So let me pray. We'll have questions, and then we'll get to our prayer time. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for your word, and God, I do thank you for just this history that we have that's recorded in the book of Acts, Lord, and what a treasure it is to look to these things, and Lord, how they just apply to our lives today, Lord, and I think about so many that is uh, yoked with legalism, 
that's yoked with a false teaching of the gospel, that feel like they have to be good enough to be saved, or they feel like they have to do enough good works for God to give them favor. Lord, I pray as we know and we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is by faith and, and grace alone, Lord, that we are saved, that it's unmerited favor, Lord. You love us even while we were yet sinners. The Bible says you died for us. Lord, I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that mercy. And for us, just like Paul and just like Silas and just like the Peter, and may we stand and say we've been saved by grace and you can be saved by grace as well, that we confess that uh, through Jesus Christ that anyone can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And I pray as we go through our life that we'll look to do that, Lord. And I pray even as we raise our kids and even as we come into contact with family and those who are around us that we will not major on the minors, but major on the gospel, that bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ is the most important thing we can do. Not to argue over the little things of the law, but to bring them the gospel so their heart is changed, so they can come to know Christ. And then Jesus will change them and the Holy Spirit can work in their hearts to change them, Lord. And we thank you for just the power of the gospel. And I pray uh, as we go through uh, hard times and difficulties, as we talked in the beginning, that we will persevere, that we will push forward. That you'll give us the strength and the courage to be encouragement to others that are suffering and going through trials to say, they made it and I can make it too. And I pray that we're that kind of witness to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray.